0: Hey, it's David Ward. Real quick, before we get to the episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the content, please share and subscribe to the podcast. I've heard every time you subscribe, a drummer gets their wings. So please help a drummer out and subscribe. All right, now on to the show. Enjoy. (laughs) Hi, welcome to Musicians on the Record, the show, where we bring you the musician's story. I'm David Ward, and really excited today. This guy has a lot of stuff going on. My next guest is an award-winning producer, engineer, music technologist, I want to know what that even is, uh, and publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine. His latest book, which I want to talk all about, is called Crash. Crash the world's greatest drum kits from a piece to Pierre to Van Halen. David Frangione is on the show today. Welcome, David. Thank you. Great to be here. Hello, everyone. So um, I would love to start with this new book called Crash. Um, you, you know, I've seen, is it is it tied to this museum as well that you've got in Florida?
1: Well, it, it's tied to my nonprofit in that we give proceeds from the book to the nonprofit, and it's tied in the sense that, The drum kits in the book are, a lot of them are on display in the museum that you're referring to, but it's a standalone book. Uh, I made sure that I wrote and created a book that would stand the test of time, that could be around for a 100 years, and it would still be a great read. I wanted to make sure it was filled with pictures, so if you didn't want to get into the details in the text, you could still very much enjoy the book visually, and it was a great coffee table book. I wanted to make sure that we covered all of their different elements uh, of drumming and drum sets that I was passionate about, and we, we did that. I was really proud of how the book came out. It's a book that I like to read myself and, and look through, and if you're into drum sets, if you're into rock drumming, jazz drumming, collecting, this book is in all of those lanes, and it's really enjoyable. It's done really, really well, still going strong, and uh, everybody that gets the book reaches out to me and and you know a lot of the people have reached out and said um, consistently, "You know we're really enjoying this." and uh, it's, it's something that never leaves our, our coffee table, and it's a point of uh, you know discussion and enjoyment for our guests and our family, and that's why you make the book right no question and so who who is in the book
0: david can you give us a a glimpse of what kind of drum sets are we talking about here
1: well we have of course right from the cover carl palmer my inspiration and favorite drummer his stainless steel kit is on the cover which is he had custom made one of one by british steel in Mm -hmm. 73 Uh, played it with ELP through all of those years, brain salad surgery tour on. Um, then there's Alex Van Halen, Neil Peart, as you said, Buddy Rich, Louis Belson, Carmine Apice, um Jason Bonham, Eric Singer, who also wrote the afterward, yeah. um, and just Todd Zuckerman, Tommy Clefettos, Black Sabbath, and, um, and just, you know, one amazing drummer after the next. And, and the drum sets are such works of art mm-hmm. to go through and to look at Greg Eatem and Smile Kit from mm-hmm. the first David Lee Roth tour when Roth was going after Van Halen with a vengeance <laughs> and put that all-star band together. And right. no, no, no expense spared. And that drum kit was so, is and was so iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just a lot of Steve Gadd. And um, you know Vinnie Colaiuta, Terry Bozio, and you know we go on and on and on. It's just just a lot of fun. If you love drums or drumming, got to check out Crash, the world's greatest drum kits. Yeah, I mean this is a, a drummer's dream book. Here,
0: how did you? Uh, how did this book even come about, David? Where you got the idea for all of this, and you went and photographed these, or some of these are also at your museum?
1: Well, the the idea was a hybrid. Um, I wrote two books, Clint Eastwood Icon and Clint Eastwood Icon Revised and Expanded Edition, published through Insight Editions. And in my uh dealings with them, the publisher, Raul Goff, a visionary man, great iconic guy in book publishing, we did these two books. And while we were working on the second one, the Revised and Expanded Icon, he said, You know, do you have anything that you'd like to do as a book? with music and i gave them some ideas because i only want to work on projects that i'm really passionate about and that i think would be something that i would want to read and i figure if i'm into it and i create something that i think is quality and is unique then maybe a lot of other people will feel the same way and they can enjoy it so i you know one of the ideas was the drum sets i had this collection that i've been building and um it was a combination like personal scrapbook because we have Joey Kramer from Aerosmith. And of course I've worked with Aerosmith for over 25 years. Um, And so we have, you know, like part of my own journey in history and journey, Steve Smith, Uh, we have (laughs) have some Steve Smith kits in there. So we have a combination of artists with whom I've worked and gotten to know, and this is my personal scrapbook and drums that I've collected because I want to make sure that they're, um, that they're kept historically intact forever, right? That they're preserved. Um, and so that was my focus. And so uh, Raul said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. We focused it around the kits that I had. I had enough of them that we thought we could produce a really quality book. That was the methodology behind who's in it. It's not because we this is our favorite drummer as opposed to that one. It's These are the drummers we've collected the sets on, and we feel have significant drum sets that other people will enjoy looking at and reading about. And it, and it worked that when we put together the synopsis, it it was, it was very effective. So we went forward with it and I asked Mark Weiss, world famous rock photographer to photograph the kits at the museum, which he thankfully agreed to. And, um, and then we sourced some other photos from guys like Niels Lozauer and, and other great photographers um, for some of the stage shots what we'll call the more vintage or live based shots so it's a combination of the drum sets from a collectible perspective and an up close and personal perspective to pictures of the drummer himself playing that set at the time that the history was being made so obviously you are a drummer as
0: well and this is some of your passion My whole- um- your whole life. Yeah. So I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about that too. But if, if my memory serves me, our mutual drum teacher, Dom Famularo, uh, said with the museum, some of these kits are also playable. Is that right?
1: Many of them are. Many of them. Um, I had the idea that I wanted to have the book so that people can go out, get the book. They'll have it forever. They can pass it down to their family. It's something that will outlive all of us in terms of our lives but it will be much bigger because it will go on past a human lifetime that's one of the beautiful things about a book to me so you can create something that really brings value and enjoyment to people and resource um, and it can go on and on and on especially on a relevant subject like um, you know either clint eastwood icon who clint is truly his films and himself are truly iconic and crash world's greatest drum kits the case of music and drums and drumming. So I think these subjects last many lifetimes. And that was really the, the point behind it. And um, when I looked at the museum, the museum is a private entity that's based around my Frangioni Foundation. So if you go to Foundation.com, you learn more about that. And we're trying to make a difference, helping youth, inspiring kids, giving them inspiration and giving them um, you know guidance at a time when they need it most. And um, that's something that the museum is very effective for because like we take the Todd Suckerman kit, for instance, Todd himself can come in, give a master class all at no cost to the end user and really change somebody's life. Because as we know, you know, moments, especially before the age of 20 and especially in our really early years moments are what we take with us for the rest of our lives so they're not just moments right as we get older the moments get a little more unique and special cuz we've got so many of them and they you know they really have to stand out more and more and more but as a kid they're defining and those moments are the ones that uh, still to this day I'll speak to somebody who's 75 years old and I'll ask him about like where did you develop that discipline or how did you come up with the principle of this or that and they'll literally say to me, oh, well, my dad, when I was eight, told me this. And it's like, <laughs> when you were eight. So, you know, it's it's unbelievable. And so I think that the museum really uh, is very, very important for that. And and when we looked at, you know, it's part of my nonprofit, and then we have the book, and we have, you know, whatever uh, programming that we do, curriculum within that. When I first launched it, I had the idea I was not affiliated with Modern Drummer Magazine. I was just a huge fan of the magazine. I'd been reading it since 1977 when it came out, when it was launched. And what I ended up doing is um, I literally said, well, um, what if we made this the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. Wow. And what if what if this was a place where, as part of the special occasion, all of the Iconic drummers that each year get inducted into that Hall of Fame had an actual Hall of Fame. Yeah. So who would have ever thought that in 2019, I become, I'm asked to be publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine, and now it all kind of comes full circle. It's really amazing how everything fits together. But we've just got some incredible things we're doing for for youth, and especially, I'd like to say, in drumming. Right. So if I wanted to come uh, to the museum and play
0: Alex Van Halen's drum kit or Peter Chris, uh, is Peter Chris's drum set from there? It is. Yes. Oh man. Or, or Ringo. Do we have one of Ringo's kits? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I could bash on those kits. Is that right? Is that what
1: you're saying? We'll see. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Maybe that's a maybe with me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You know, that's, that's the whole idea is that, you know you can create these incredible memories and put together some really great programming and curriculum and help change people's lives, especially young people that's
0: very cool I, I love that you're doing that and and talk about modern drummer then David you loved the magazine so much you became the publisher now does that mean you you bought the company as well? what does that mean
1: well yeah, um in a, in a in a form i mean i'm a, I'm a significant partner um Isabel Spagnardi, Ron's wife, who the two of them started the magazine together. Ron passed in 2003, and uh, Isabel has continued uh, forging ahead. She's been the CEO and the president um, the whole time. And so they haven't had a publisher for a few years, and they, uh, they really thought that to you know, lead them into the 21st century and really evolve what's known as a very, very iconic brand in drumming. As you know, because you're a drummer, uh, they really wanted to take my knowledge and understanding in what I'll say is uh, is technology and drumming, and combine that in a way where we can. You know, it's a very unique blend, right? If we if we take my career and we say, okay, started out as a drummer. It's always been passionate about the drums, but I've made my living from technology, business, sound, et cetera. Uh, I never could have imagined that it would have come full circle and would have ended up being uh, something that all of that experience would help modern drummer, uh, kind of that blend of experience, help modern drummer be the number one drum resource in the world for drummers, which we are. And we, you know, we got to keep working really hard at building on that. It's a big responsibility. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's something I'm very passionate about. And I, I know all the drummers out there really count on Modern Drummer and, and want it to be something that, uh, you know, is around for a long time to, uh, you know, to help them. Right.
0: Absolutely. And a great magazine. I've got my subscription just to let you know. And uh, if somebody, if a drummer is not subscribed to that, get that because it, it offers a lot. What's some of your vision, if you can share any of that, David, of where you would like that to go and how do you see, I mean, obviously you're a specialist in the technology. How would you like to see that blended together with the magazine?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for being a subscriber. Modern drummer.com slash subscribe is where everybody else can become a subscriber. And um, you're going to really be glad that you did, because to answer your question, we're doing a lot uh, to put initiatives forward, both online and in print. So for instance, uh, to me, my view of print was that it has to have an educational component to it that really brings value on an ongoing basis that you would want and actually need the print copy. Because I think print for me, collecting the back issues, I don't know about you, but I love to keep the back issues, (laughs) right? I got way too many old modern drummers that now a lot of the times I'll look at the archive we have. um, I'll I'll know the issue by having, having the issue or having read it many years ago, but I'll look at it a lot online on our archive, our digital archive. We have every issue we've ever done up there. But I have all the issues, and I and I absolutely love it. And there are moments when I want to hold the magazine or have somebody sign it or whatever. But I thought, you know, we need to be even bigger than that in what we're offering in print. Um, I think print is still very important and uh, applicable, to say the least. I think drummers especially love holding the magazine and traveling with it not having to pull out an ipad every time they want to read something and i also think just as importantly that education is a really critical path to being a better drummer so we're putting these ongoing educational curriculums together so as you get each issue of the magazine you're growing and you're following a class that would cost a lot more money to either do online or to have uh you know buy buy lots of drum books So, it's something that's really, really of high value. And uh, you can write on it because it's print and you can keep the issues and you can follow along with them. And then on the digital side, we have all kinds of exclusive digital content. We've got the 40 plus years of archives up there. We've got all the current issues come out digitally in a very unique way to read them, they're not just PDFs. And we have our Give the Drummer Some VIP contests, which have really been spectacular. Uh, almost every month, it's probably, it'll average out to about 10 times a year, but almost every month we give away a contest to a subscriber. And all you have to do to enter the contest and win is be a subscriber. So you get all the value and then we're throwing on top of that as a thank you. You can join this contest every month and you know, you, uh, win, uh, free tickets to see Aerosmith in their Vegas residency and stand next to, the stage and meet the drummer and you know go to we just gave away a cabin on the john bon jovi cruise around barcelona oh my God. and the winner was the drum tech for a day uh for <laughs> on the cruise and met john bon jovi and got a picture with him and i mean it, another winner went to ringo star's private birthday party at Capitol records got a picture with ringo this is these are extraordinary contests very by any standard.
0: Yeah, very. And sweet.
1: Uh, that's what we're that's what we're giving away to our subscribers. So I think we got a lot of really nice. I know they're all new things, but I also think they're really high quality. I think drummers, uh, musicians are going to love it.
0: Sounds great. And you can clearly hear your passion uh, around drumming in there, David. Can we talk a little bit about your story? As I was doing some of my research to talk with you, I thought it was very courageous, some of the story that you shared. You know, I've been talking with musicians a lot about music and mental health, and sometimes that stuff comes from physical health issues. Can you talk a little bit about your passion for drums and where that came from, where that started?
1: Well, in my case, uh, when I was two years old, um, I was diagnosed with retinoblastoma, which is cancer of the eye, <laughs> and they had to remove my right eye, and uh, it was a very traumatic childhood. Now, what I got from that, there were some real blessings in what was you know, very difficult. First of all, they didn't know if I was going to lift. So I make it through that. I end up with a prosthetic right eye. I, I never knew what it was like to see out of two eyes. I have no recollection of that. So I think that's a big deal because when you have sight out of both eyes and then you lose sight in an eye, I think that's much harder than just never knowing anything but, but seeing out of one eye. Um, I can tell you that going through the trauma of having my childhood be uh, with, you know, the, uh, with the prosthetic, getting fitted for a prosthetic, uh, having all of these different uh, challenges, you know, were very, very difficult. And it was it was sad, quite frankly, to go through this. I, I use music as a as you know as, as healing, quite frankly. Uh, when you have a child that's going in and out of uh, doctors all the time for years in those at that age from two to you know ten, getting fitted for prosthetics and dealing with the, the anxiety it goes with that and with the environments that you're in. Uh, it, was, it was very challenging. I didn't even realize how challenging it was. I just kind of put my head down and went forward. I had incredible support from my mom and dad. We had very little material means, but we had tremendous love and, and support uh, fr- with each other, and especially from them. And uh, music was, and drumming just turned out to be... I started playing the drums when I was two everybody says, how do you know you started playing when you were two? It's because I found pictures (laughs) from two years old, dated and photographed that absolutely it's my playing the drums. I have no idea how or why those drums got there. Uh, I wish I knew. And then as my childhood kept going, I got more and more into the drums. I didn't have a drum set for a while. I played on Uh, phone books and practice pads and then I finally got my parents got me a used drum kit after I I showed them that I was serious and I took drum lessons every Saturday at a local music center and um, when they saw that I would practice and I would follow through they got me uh, a little Rogers pink champagne four-piece drum kit and uh, it all started from there It's amazing. Yeah. And there's a great
0: picture of you you sort of uh, coming out of a bass drum as a kid. uh, That's it. That's the one. Man, yeah,
1: You do You do your research. I do. I like I it. I do, yeah. Wow, good job.
0: <laughs> I thought it was a great picture and, uh, you know, just uh, adorable. How did your folks feel? I mean, they must have been scared as hell that their kid, you know, with this serious medical issue, like you said, you didn't know if you were going to live or not. Right. Um, they must have been scared as parents. How did it come to be that were they supportive of you drumming, uh, you know? Uh,
1: well... They, <laughs> it's a great question. They okay. were for all of the trauma relief. Yeah. And the fact that I could get away from kids making fun of me and all the you know the 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 stuff that goes on in your in your youth when you're, you know, when things like that happen, you know, kids can be pretty mean, and the world can be a little bit mean. You know, you go out to the real world and you walk in somewhere with your kid, and you know, you're just walking into this new environment. First thing somebody says is, "What's wrong with his eye?" You know, like it can get a little harrowing. True. And so I think that, uh, you know, it was it. it it served a purpose for them that was very comforting, and they really liked, uh, and certainly it did for me without a doubt. And then as I started to get a little older, like 12, 13 years old, I'm playing a lot of gigs. I'm putting bands together, and they're watching this like, wow, like hold on a second. This is not just something that makes them happy. Like This is bigger than that. Yeah. And the last thing they ever wanted was for me to be a musician full-time. They did not like the lifestyle. They did not like uh, the environments that they saw me in, even at a young age where you play in bars and clubs and places that just were not really, uh, you know, I would call nice. Yeah. And they didn't and they didn't like the hours, of course, because, you know, you leave to go to the gig at seven o'clock at night and get home at three or four in the morning. It's, it's tough. So all of those things, you know, they were very concerned about. And I became concerned about them too. I also became concerned about As I got older and older, and and I was still very young, right? But as I'm getting older, I'm seeing and I'm gaining wisdom that normally would have been for somebody 10 years older than me. So there's such a blessing starting early. And I started to see, like, wait a second, I started this band and it was starting to, you know, do a little something. And and then, like, the lead singer quits or the guitarist, you know, gets a new girlfriend or whatever. And I saw, like, wow, my whole, what's going to happen when I'm, If I'm in the middle of like a real career here, I mean, now I'm a kid and, you know, still going to grade school. But this is, you know, this is going to become a big problem. So I was able to see early on, like, I got to see how I can take my passion, how I can take the love that I have for music and drumming and how I can fulfill that and do what I love, but not be a full time musician. And I really thought it was almost rhetorical, like, okay, well, the answer to that is you can't you got to be a full-time musician. So I was going and going on that. But in doing that, I was pursuing being the best drummer I could, studying with great drum teachers, Joe Morello, Alan Dawson, Louis Belson, Lester Merle, Rod Morgenstein. And I found technology. Uh, drumming at the time, now we're in the 80s, and drumming is starting to incorporate a lot of electronics. And you hit a drum, triggers another sound, does all kinds of things. You play a drum machine, sequences, etc. And I really got passionate about it as I was getting more and more into it. I realized, you know, I love technology as much or more than I love drumming. Mm -hmm. And I didn't expect that to happen at all. But I just fell in love with it. And I had a natural instinct towards it. I could learn a piece of gear without a manual in Mm -hmm. 20 minutes. And so it really was my calling. And I ended up building a career. Uh, in technology, putting together studios, putting together um, systems and and doing computer programming and sequencing and work. And remember, there was a 20-year period when I started up until about maybe seven or eight years ago that the role that I had was very unique, very new and evolving and The days of people kind of doing it all themselves was very, very rare, and the gear was not really set up for it that way. So, um, you know, that was the first two-thirds of my career and life so far were doing all of those things, and then it evolved from there. I started a company, Audio One. We did more than just build recording studios and backline rigs. We put together very complex home automation systems, and still do, in home theater systems. And we have great clientele doing that, very high-end, very sophisticated audio-1.com and um, you know it's just evolved from there so it's been an incredible incredible uh, time to learn all these things and to have a career of it and to work with all the fascinating and extraordinary people that I have the opportunity to work with every day
0: yeah and I want to ask you about some of those but I, I can't let it pass I mean your the dream started to shift for you from some of that experience and wisdom of you know, diversifying your music, but you said you had studied with Joe Morello and a couple of others. (laughs) I think that needs, uh, I think that needs to go back to for a second. You
1: literally studied with Joe Morello. I did. Um, I was so hungry to study with Joe Morello and so driven that I started studying with him before I had a driver's license and I would take an airplane people's express which i don't know if anybody remembers that airline you don't want to remember it it made southwest look like a private jet and so i was literally you'd go to the airport and for 25 bucks you would take a number and the flights left every hour from boston where i'm from to newark where joe was teaching in that area and you stood in line and you basically just waited until your number was called, and then you finally got us just walked on any seat you could get, and uh, they would count the seats, and they go, "Okay, we can take eight more people," and then they call eight more people in line, and that's how I would go back and forth. And then I finally got my driver's license, and uh, I saw and then I would drive six hours, take a three-hour lesson, and drive six hours home. I couldn't afford a hotel, and uh, I would just sleep in truck stops. Um, I remember one day I was driving home, I almost hit, I fell asleep, and I almost hit a concrete, uh, you know, pillar on a bridge and a truck driver, I was in the median about to smash into it and die, honestly, and a truck driver beeped his horn and woke me up and I Mm. swerved back onto the road. Thank God. So it was, you know, it wasn't easy. And I was uh, studying with him and coming home. And at the time, you know, we would, everything would be recorded on a cassette the lesson would be on a cassette and I would change cassettes on the three hour points, you know, it was like 90 minute cassettes. So I'd have like, you know, three or four cassettes and I'd turn them over and I'd have to listen for when it clicked and go, okay, Joe, hold on, hold on. We got to go to the next <laughs> side of the cassette. And I'd put my little library of Morello lesson cassettes and I would go home and listen to it and look at my notes and look at the book. And wow. it was just incredible. And it was so impactful and so life changing in terms of, how much he helped me improve as a drummer Mm. that when i met dom femularo and i realized in fairly short order what he taught and how he learned his craft and how he really legitimately blends morello with chapin with stone with molar with Shelley Mann, with Gladstone, like it's she's such a Renaissance man, and it was so it's so oh, unbelievably and incredible that I was I was dying to do it because I stopped studying with Joe when my technology career was taken off, and I really stopped like before I got into a lot of things I wanted to learn, but I just didn't have the time to do it and the need at the time because I you know. I had to make a living and there's only so many hours in the day. And now at this point I can carve out a little time to practice every day and, and kind of do some things that nourish me and my spirit and playing and learning the drums and being better at them is one of them. And Joe Morello's passed on. And I'm like, well, I want to study with Joe Morello again. Like I want to call up Joe. I want to let's pick up where we left off. Let's go. We'll do it over Skype. <laughs> right. I'll fly to New Jersey again if right. I have to, like whatever we got to do. Sure. And here's Dom Famularo, who's all of that plus these other techniques. Right. And he is just really single-handedly changing the face of drum education. Right. And I can speak personally uh, from what he's teaching me. You, know, you can speak to it for sure because he's teaching you as well that this is really the real deal and this is something that is uh, groundbreaking because I really am picking up where I left off with Joe Morello and um, I'm having the time of my life. It's, it's a game changer, man. It's a game changer.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, and Dom um, is certainly so inspirational, drumming and life-wise. If you, if you had to put it in a nutshell, David, what would you say the, the biggest lessons, the biggest thing you got from Joe Morello?
1: Oh man, lots of things, but um I I think that the the natural movement of drumming, how what when, you know, everybody talks about don't tense up and they use a lot of buzzwords and they use a lot of concepts but they don't ever really give you the the data to back it up so you can truly apply it and play that way and Joe Morello does. He does he does apply it and play that way and did and now dom does so i think natural drumming is so huge because it'll allow you to play for your whole life and avoid injury which is one of the number one things that stops a lot of us drummers from continuing our drumming is is physical issues from drumming and and not knowing how to have the muscles work for us as opposed to hurt us or be hurt um and i think that i also learned uh, I got a lot of life lessons from Joe on the fly. Like, you know, like Dom teaches very methodical and, you know, it's the he's a master teacher. Joe was a master teacher, but not in a methodical way. Joe was a master teacher. Like, I almost had to guide him a little bit and he would just give you these tidbits that were gold on the fly, you know, and he, like, I remember him saying to me once, when you're putting. You're set together. You're doing any, set meaning music set, not drum set, not not setting it up, but actually like a musical, uh, you know, arrangement of songs. Yes, he would say when you're putting your set together or any kind of presentation, any anything that you're out there you're playing with, and you got a band or you, or, you know you're doing your own solo show. He goes, always remember to end with the drum solo because right. you can't you can't follow anything with a drum solo you know maybe you can do a song or two to close the night out but that's about it yeah. well that seems like common sense but it was it was really insightful because right. a lot of times i would put the solo at the beginning or the middle and I, I remember seeing van halen all the time and alex usually soloed in the first or second or third song that was pretty right. common when i saw them live he would solo early but he joe was right you know like when you see like carl palmer i said you know my my favorite drummer and a big inspiration he always solos at the end buddy always soloed at the end louis always soloed at the end you know i see dave weckl i happen to just see him recently he solos at the end so it's his advice i mean this is in 1985 or something and his advice is still as relevant and helpful as it was then so we've got natural movement how to make the physics of drumsticks and drumming work for you and with you how to put sticks and and you know rhythm in motion and have it continue in motion while you generate the ideas you generate the accents you generate what how you want to say it musically but the physical nature of it is done through natural movement and physics and i think that that's a really uh, important thing to learn and uh, you know i'm glad that joe i i'm really blessed i had the opportunity to study with him and now with dom it's incredible. You know, and I love talking with
0: drummers, David, too, uh, all musicians, but drummers especially, because I am one. And, you know, we all have our different influences, and I love talking with folks about their, their guy or their guys or women I drummers as well. But um, say more about Carl Palmer and why he's your guy for you.
1: Well, Carl um, Palmer was really the first drummer that I heard in rock that blew my mind and connected with me. Uh, I was listening to the Beatles. I was listening to Zeppelin. I was listening to the who early cheap trick queen ACDC early stuff. This is 77, 76, even 75, you know, I mean, really early in, in a lot of these bands. Um, and, the music was captivating to me. I was a huge Kiss fan. I was listening to, you know, Kiss Alive and Destroyer. And the music, the image, the attitude, the, so much of it was connecting with me. And then, but the drumming, the great thing about the drumming is I was learning to play a lot of that drumming. Um, and so that was very fulfilling. Like, I love the song. I love playing to it. I love learning the parts. And it was accessible. Uh, Even though there were a lot of really cool nuances, a lot of that stuff I could learn to play. And then when I saw the ELP Live album, and it was around 75, 76, whenever it was, and I saw the back of the record, and I saw this giant single-headed concert tom monstrosity I'd never seen anything like it. It was the most unique, incredible drum kit ever. And I heard the playing on it, which was even more incredible and uh carl was just like a buddy rich of rock and i and i had heard buddy and i saw buddy first i saw buddy many times but the first time i saw him was i was around eight or nine years old he came to play my high school so we were able to go to the show because it was all ages it was in the afternoon and my brother and parents could take me and it wasn't a nightclub or anything so i went to my high school auditorium saw buddy rich I didn't know if I wanted to quit or keep practicing. Right. You know, same thing everybody says after they see Buddy for right. the first That's time. That's amazing. And so I um, I hear this Emerson Lincoln Palmer record, and I start checking them out more and listening to other stuff and hearing even what Carl was doing in Lucky Man, their first big hit from 1970, which I hadn't heard. Obviously, I was three years old or whatever at the time. So a few years later, now I'm going back catalog and kind of checking everything out because I'm inspired. And I'm just listening to one amazing drum part after the next. And uh, I couldn't play any of that stuff. So I was like, this is incredible. And I was just very inspired. And the rest is history. I've got a lot of amazing Carl Palmer moments that have happened since then. And and uh, between the drum kit and the book and doing a dvd with carl drumming on stage with carl um i was at his master class recently in philadelphia it was absolutely incredible yeah i just saw a picture of you on the panel with him yep and his master class i have to tell you it was so great you got i can't wait for next year's everybody needs to attend this it is so if you play music drums keys guitar bass vocals any Mm -hmm. of those instruments you got it come to this it's yep. really just it was incredible and um so you know it's amazing how sometimes our idols and icons can become friends and and partners and uh That's I'm pretty just awesome blessed. you know I'm yeah. just blessed I That's... think all the hard work uh you know has just given given me some blessings and um, given me these opportunities to do some new things with iconic idols. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you've worked with some of my other music
0: uh, heroes as well. When your your technology and the engineering stuff started to take off, I mean, you know, some of my top bands, Aerosmith and Kiss, you have worked with. How did you connect with them? And and how did your being a musician help you in those uh, situations?
1: connecting with them was through networking getting an initial opportunity where somebody referred me and then i was able to uh you know get the get a gig and then turn that into more gigs um you know you've really you got to come through and you get an opportunity everybody says he's lucky he's lucky he's lucky luck is when hard work meets opportunity and you're ready for it and then there is some luck in there but luck alone will not get you very far um so I think that that was really how I was able to, you know, get build upon my career. And being a musician without a doubt has really served me. I mean, first of all, it's so much more enjoyable to know music, understand music, and be able to follow it and really get deep inside of it. And uh, if somebody says, hey, let's take it from, you know, three measures into the bridge, like, you know exactly what they're talking about and you're not trying to translate, oh, what's the musical equivalent of that, you know. So being a musician, being trained reading music, having been in an orchestra as I was several times, including the Greater Boston Youth Symphony, um, you know, that all that stuff really did wonders for me. I went to New England Conservatory for a couple of years. So being able to read and understand music theory and understand music at that level uh, has been very, very beneficial. And I'm really glad um, I didn't understand it then how much it would help me. Sometimes I'd be learning these things and I would say, "Ah, oh, I don't want to be a music teacher. This is a waste of time. And some of it was a waste of time because I'm not going to be a music teacher. But a lot of it applies to all music and was very helpful for me to build on my career and understand the, all the music that goes into technology. Because remember, if I'm putting together music programs and I'm editing and I'm mixing and programming, it's all music. Whether you read the music or you don't, it's still four beats to a bar, four, four time signature in most cases, you know, a certain key that the music is, is in for the song, you know, all of these basics, like every song, all styles of music. And when you really understand all of that, it helps you a lot. And it's even helped me in my home automation and home theater side of the business, because when you create a mix And then you build a home theater for somebody that's reference quality or recording studios, as I love to do and have done many times. It's reference quality. When you finish the studio and you're tweaking it or the theater and you're making your adjustments, you got to listen to something. Right? That's the whole point. you got to listen like, okay, how's the studio playing back? How's the theater playing back? And that's something that you're listening to. For me, it's reference material that in some cases I actually helped create. So my point of reference to like, okay, how close is this room to where I want it to be? It's a fairly unique point of reference that I'm able to bring to it and then dial it in and really nail what it's going to sound like. And I think that's what's resonated with a lot of clients to where they hire me and recommend me because they say, well, he got great results and he did it very smoothly. He knew what he was doing. He had a plan. He executed it. And, um, you know, that's who we want to hire. And so can you share a
0: story or two from working with Aerosmith and Kiss and and or Ozzy and and what 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 specifically are some of the projects you've worked with them on? please?
1: Well, Aerosmith, I started with them right after they finished Pump and uh, worked with them on, you know, I was their pre-production engineer for years all through the 90s, Get a Grip and Just Push Play and Nine Lives and all these different albums and amusement park rides and You know, uh, pinball machines and movie edits and live albums and backline rigs and recording rigs and built studios for them, home theaters and automation systems for them, worked on the records, did about seven records uh, from Love in an Elevator to to, uh, Just Push Play. And Ozzy, I built two studios for him. And uh, during the first studio build, which was in his house in Beverly Hills, uh, they were filming the show The Osborne. so I ended up on a bunch of those episodes, and that was an absolute blast. That was a once in a lifetime opportunity that I'll never forget. Um, and, I, and then that studio was used on some records of his, and I did some engineering on on one of them. And I've always kind of worn multiple hats, so like I can build the studio, I can run the studio, I can integrate the studio, I can then when the studio's done and you're working, I can go in the house and get all the theater and automation stuff going and so it's kind of a 360 approach to, um, you know, music and technology. And then I have my artist development firm, All Access IDA, where we do high level uh, artist development for artists. Um, and so it's, you know, it's very fulfilling and there's a lot of different elements from it. So it's, it's always interesting and you're always learning one thing and applying it to another. Did that tech stuff just come naturally to you,
0: David? Because I know, you you know, like musical uh, talent can be almost genetic or hereditary, somebody's parents or family members. But, you know, this sounds like a natural ability for you that you can do all of this.
1: I think it I think it's been I've worked really hard at it, but I think a lot of it was very natural. Um, I think it probably comes even more naturally than drumming for me. Okay, that's
0: amazing. Yeah. So, and obviously you're you're
1: you're doing well with it. Uh Steven Tyler calls you Gyro Gearloose. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, forever. Since the first day I met him. Tell me about me, that nickname. He started calling me well he first met me he said I'm going to call you Gyro Gearloose. Now I'm going to call you Swervo Gizmo. Now I'm going to call you Gyro Gearloose and Gyro Gearloose stuck. and to this day when he calls or texts me on his phone it says Gyro instead of my actual name David Frangioni. So it's uh it's stuck, and I don't know. I don't know where he came up with it. I, I thought at one point somebody said it was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but I don't know if that's true or not. I've never taken the time to look, but it's been my nickname with them for thirty years. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, and you were you connecting with them? They, they were past their Boston
0: days at this point. If it was Pump, right? They were that was their huge comeback at that point. Yeah, it was the right? comeback
1: time as they yeah. were clean and sober. Yeah, they were on their second record with Bruce Fairbairn. The first one was Permanent Vacation. They right. got re-signed to Geffen. They did Done with Mirrors when they got back together, and it didn't commercially fare very well. So that John Collodner, their A and R guy at the time, with Geffen, uh, put them with Bruce Fairbairn and some co-writers like Jim Valance and Desmond Child, and they went on and did that great album Permanent Vacation. Then they did Pump, which was to me it's a landmark rock album. No question. And then um, I came on board near the end of that and helped them put together some sounds and technology for additional songs and the tour itself. And then that transitioned back into when they started working on the songwriting for Get a Grip. They needed a studio. They needed a guy to sit there every day and and make sure that all of the equipment was running and that they had the opportunity where they could just focus on writing and creating. So I became like the one-man show. And I would sit in the studio every day, and I watched all these iconic songwriters come in and out and work on songs like crazy and crying and amazing wow. and um, you know just that must loving, have been awesome. Falling in love is hard on the knees. I mean, just on and on and on. Walk on water, blind man, um, just incredible songs. Yeah, and great songs. And got to be friends with and work on a lot of projects with other writers and artists that I met that were coming through. So yeah, I still work with, Des- with Desmond Child to this day. Um, and just mark hudson and just iconic iconic artists amazing and how many times have you gotten to play drums
0: with joey kramer by the way
1: not not as many as you think i built a studio for him yeah uh and i spent a lot of time with them um but you know there were only a couple of times where there were like two drum kits set up or you know same thing with steven or joe where i'll play and one of them will jam out on it you know those days it's amazing how many of them there were, but they go by so fast right. and there's so much to do yeah. that they just blur together. And then all of a sudden the album's done, you know, but when, but each day getting there was, you know, climbing another little mountain. Yeah. And with
0: Kiss, I, I, I want to hear what, what projects did you work on with Kiss, please?
1: Well, I did uh, remix Kiss the second coming into surround sound. Mm-hmm. And then we've worked on some specialty projects. I just got off the Kiss Cruise modern drummer sponsored the kiss drum off and we did this really cool thing where we had all these drummers come on kiss crews and do a like an old-fashioned drum off and the winner is going to get featured on the modern drummer digital and a 13 year old uh drummer from la um won the the drum off and just you know oh those guys are so great um doc McGee's their manager iconic iconic businessman and music man of course gene paul Um, You know, Eric Tommy, just a lot of just, you know, Eric Singer wrote the afterword for my book and it's amazing. Always projects going on. You know, I don't know how you find time for all
0: of this, David. You got so much going on with this and you've got some other, the the Frangioni Foundation, Hit the Deck, Drum Experience, the Irie Foundation and Musicians on Call. Um, I was just tired, you know, just seeing all of this. I'm
1: like, how do you find the energy to do all of that? And appear on podcasts on right. time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fact is that um, you're just, just being time efficient. You know, there's a lot more time to do things than you think. You just got to schedule it out, be very committed. Yeah, and
0: clearly you're very passionate about all of these things. The other thing that I wanted to, uh, that I hadn't realized until I looked more into it, uh, an organization uh, that I've, featured on my show before as well is the can-do musos can you talk a little bit about can-do musos please
1: oh well dom femularo turned me on to that um and that's why i joined that um they haven't reached out to me to really be actively involved in very much right now but i did tell my story on it and i did find it to be something that i think they're, they're up to a lot of great things um frangioni foundation which you can learn more about at frangioni foundation.com we're a foundation that we not only do our own program and in curriculum, but we work with other foundations. So when you mentioned irie Musicians on Call, um, Guitars Over Guns, Jason Taylor Foundation, Little Dreams Foundation, which is uh, Oriana and Phil Collins, which I was their musical director for a few years. Um, all of these foundations, we provide the drumming. Make a Wish, we provide the drumming to that. So um, it's very possible that in the future you know, that foundation will reach out to us, can do, and we'll uh, collaborate. But, um, you know, they're doing some great things. That's for sure. That's why I joined up. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, with the book Crash, I was curious too, is there
0: anybody's drum set or even in the museum that, that you had wanted to be in the book but weren't able to get or another sort of dream kit that you'd love to have for the museum?
1: well there's lots right I mean, with drummers and drumming, as you know uh you know there's like that t shirt that has four hundred drums on the front and the big tag at the top is just one more drum. you know how many more drums do you need? Just one more drum that's right. but the fact is that the dream kit and the kit that drove the whole project and that was inspirational to me for my entire life is the Carl Palmer stainless steel kit that's on the cover I am. Um, Eight years old, I see the back of the album, I see the kit, I hear the drumming, I hear the sound of the drums, which I also thought was very unique and, and incredible. And um, and I dreamt of that kit. I would look as a kid, because remember, there's no YouTube, no internet. The only way you could see the drum kit is if it popped up in a magazine or you saw it on an album. And ELP did some albums, but they didn't put picture of the drum kit on very many of them. In fact, I'm only aware of that drum kit being on two albums, the live one I saw which was a long, blurry shot. You really couldn't see much about the kit other than you know the grandiosity of it and a little bit of detail. And then the uh, on Works Volume 2, there's a picture of Carl next to the kit, and you can see the, the back right of the kit. So the left, as you're looking at it from the front, you can see a couple of the floor toms and side toms and the engravings, and you can get an idea of it there. And it was just always so extraordinary. Um, and I dreamt of that kit, and I remember telling my parents... Um, I, I got to have this drum kit. And they're like, David, please. You know, he's a, a wealthy rock star in London. You're an up and coming one eyed kid in Arlington. We barely can, you know, put food on the table and keep our jobs. And you're worrying about some grandiose rock star's drum kit. Like, you're out. Yeah, know, they just thought I had rocks in my head. And then, as we go on, then Carl, when EOP broke up, Carl was going to auction the kit off, but instead he sold it to Ringo Starr, who bought it for his son, Zach well then my parents loved to rib me like yeah now you're really going to get the drum kit the richest drummer in the world just bought it so now if it was if it happened to be unattainable up until now now it's really unattainable like just forget it um if we sold everything we had times 100 we couldn't touch what Ringo would want for it so it just was out of reach as the years went on Um, I would always kind of keep my ear to the ground. I actually ended up working with Ringo for a few years. I built studios for him and did some projects which were really, uh, you know, incredible to be a part of that. And um, I inquired as to whether I could buy the drum kit at that time. I was in a much better place in my career. I didn't have any idea what it was worth, but I just, you know, was so into it that I wanted to find out. And uh, it just came back through his team, like, no, you know, forget Forget about the drum kit. Uh, I think it happened to be that it had been in storage. Ringo wasn't even thinking about it. And he was probably thinking, well, Zach might still want it. You know, like I don't, you know, I don't need to sell the drum kit. So then we fast forward to 2015, (laughs) right? So what are we 40 years from? Yeah, we're 40 years from the first time I see the drum kit. I love it. On the album cover. And I find out that Ringo Starr. Is auctioning off the drum kit from Julian's auction. Wow! So I call Darren Julian when I find this out because the auction hasn't even been announced yet. I find out through Ringo's world, right? So I call Darren and I go, "Is this true? Do you have is this, Do you have Carl Palmer's drum kit from Ringo?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, it's going to be in our auction." I said, "Darren, let me tell you the story." I start with you know about my eye. Uh, my childhood, my trauma, my parents, you know, every single heart string I'm yes. pulling and yeah. Darren finishes listening to the story. He's such a great guy. I love Darren, genius, genius, auctioneer and collectors, uh, you know, expert. And, um, he finishes listening to my story and, and I go, um, He goes, David. That is the most unbelievable story I've ever heard in my life. And he goes, "You have to have this drum kit." And I go, "Yes, that's exactly what I think too." So we'll make a deal. He goes, "No, I'll give you a bidder number." (laughs) So I'm like, ah, I was like going crazy, right? The anxiety of that. I'm just thinking, oh no, you know, I'm done. What if somebody, you know, rich bids on the thing? We're done. And so, um. It turns out that the auction came, and, and Ringo had multiple drum kits he was selling. That was the only one that wasn't his, that yeah. he owned it, but he wasn't. it wasn't a Ringo Starr drum kit. Right. But one of the kits he played, the kit he played on in Sullivan, mm. sold, and it was before Carl Palmer's kit came to the auction block, right? Because, you know, yeah. in an auction, they're numbered, and they Short. go one after the other, of course. So yeah. his Sullivan kit was first, and it sold for over $2 million. Wow. To the owner of the Colts, who is rich. Yes. Jim Ursay. <laughs> right? Jim yeah. And so he um, bought the thing. And I just remember calling. Julian's freaking out. Is he going to bid on the ELP? they are like, <laughs> calm down. We can't tell you that. And so I'm like, oh. So um, it was, you know, to me, it represented more than an item. You know, at the end of the day, it's an item. And an item only has so much significance, right? No matter what. It just had so many memories and uh, moments that I had around it. So the the item itself just was an item, but the memories that were personal to my life and my achievements and and overcoming a lot of odds along the way, that was associated with the kit in a very unique way. And of course, Carl's playing. So this was just one giant bundle of inspiration that I really wanted to bring home. And, um, and it was before the book and before the museum. Hmm. So it was just, you know, in this moment. So the auction comes and I win the auction. It's amazing. And I'm looking up at the sky after I won it, about to cry. My mom had passed away in 04, my dad in 96. And I'm just saying to them, can you believe this? And from that, Um, You know, of course, my collaborations with Carl Palmer himself, having now studied with him, gone to his master class, drummed on stage with him, co-produced and co-mixed a DVD that's out, that's Carl Palmer's ELP Legacy DVD that I'm drumming on and that I mixed with Carl. And now doing other collaborations with Carl and his great manager, Bruce Pilato, Um, it's it's just a dream come true. He's as extraordinary of a person as he is a drummer and inspiration. and he's and look at what he's doing for people. Look at the legacy he's leaving okay. to take the time out to do a master class, right? and to say, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna leave my legacy and and some of the things I've learned with generations to come. He doesn't have to do that, right. But he's right. doing it, and yeah. he's and he's creating something much bigger just like he did with all the bands that he's been a huge part of, that they'll be with us for eternity. He's doing the same thing, helping musicians now too. So to be a part of that in any way is is incredible. And, um, And then that kit from inspiring me those 40 years, it inspired the book, it inspired the foundation, it inspired the museum. This thing is just incredible. Man,
0: you're you're living the dream. That that's a a boyhood dream come true, David. That's fantastic. What is it? What is it like to sit behind that kit and play it?
1: Um, I wouldn't know. I've never played it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just left it uh, in the garage, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, still in cases. Um, It is uh, it's it's extraordinary, and you know, I I wish I could make it sound even one tenth of the way it sounded when I heard it with Carl. Uh, But you know, that's why we practice.
0: Right. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's fantastic. David, you've got a lot of good works in the world that you're doing for folks. Check it out online. Um, where can folks find you, David?
1: Well, my socials are at David Frangioni, F-R-A-N-G-I-O-N-I, and uh, davidjfrangioni.com is my website. Thank you for the opportunity to share my stories. I hope that a lot of people out there can find their own story in, in our story because I think there's a lot of people out there that have very similar lives in, you know, having dreams and goals and setbacks and ailments and take what you, you know, what you've taken from me today and hopefully apply it to your own world and, uh, and make it better. Overcoming challenges and having
0: a, a lot of success still in the music business. Thank you so much, David Frangione, for being on the record today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, everyone. Very cool episode. What did you think about that? We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it. And if you want to watch this interview, there's a video, too. You can check it out on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, MusiciansOnTheRecord.com. Until next time, I'm David Ward. Thanks for listening.